You're listening to Clarification on Springfield's Talk 1041. Hey everybody, it's Clarification. I'm your host, James Clary. Welcome to the end of a year in the Ozarks. We've got a really special show for you. Sarah, my producer, who's at the board today, she's always at the board when we do this show. She and I were talking and decided that we'd do a little retrospective, a little look back at some of the topics that we covered and some of the people that we had on to help us cover those topics. And I I really had a good time going through all the episodes. I want to thank the listeners. You know, you guys have made us one of the top talk shows, weekend talk shows in this part of the country. And for that, we greatly appreciate you. I hope you had a great Christmas and I hope your new year is wonderful. Let's get into it. So the one of the biggest news stories, obviously, was COVID. And I had been doing a deep dive from the very beginning of this thing. It didn't smell right to me. You know, when I saw the first video of the gentleman in Elmhurst, that CBS had played a piece from Elmhurst, New York, and showed long lines out of the emergency room. And the next day, literally lines in the street for hundreds of yards. And the next day, a gentleman drove past the hospital and there was nobody there. I knew right then we were being lied to, but it gets worse than that. One of the most heart-wrenching, gut-wrenching, heart-breaking interviews we did was with the Carters, with Peggy and Monique Carter. And, And Monique and I still talk from time to time. They lost their husband and father. Sarah, let's play just that little clip and then I'll give you the breakdown. Within a couple days, they've got him on remdesivir, and then they vent him. And for our listeners, they have to put you in a comatose state with drugs. Okay, can I say something real quick? Yeah, sure, sure. I'm looking at my notes right here that I took. Yeah. They started the remdesivir. It was ordered uh, by a doctor on April 8th. He went in on April 7th, so they started it immediately. Wow. They were determined to kill him PDQ. So that last comment was from Peggy Carter, who lost their husband, Frank, had some mild nausea. They thought it was either some food poisoning or stomach flu. He went in the hospital on April. So he was dead, if I remember correctly, within five days. They put him on remdesivir. They put him on a ventilator. And we find out later, of course, this was at Vanderbilt. We find out later that these hospitals were getting huge sums of money if They had a COVID diagnosis, number one. Number two, gave the patient remdesivir. Number three, they put him on a vent. And number four, they died. For each one of those, they they received an accelerating sum of money. I mean, it was horrific. And, And Sarah and I both, that was one of the toughest interviews we did because the pain in these women's voices was palpable but as bad as that is losing your husband father there's nothing worse than losing a child and in that vein we interviewed the taylors and the taylor's daughter trista had gotten covid but she hadn't got the vaccine well she got the vaccine 
And within uh, less than a week, she was in the hospital and she died. And I want to play a little piece of tape for you from Mr. Taylor Allen. I remember after they after they called it, I remember holding her hand. And she was so cold. And trying to uh, grasp the idea that this was the last time I was going to be able to hold her hand. You know, it's really hard to listen to that even now. Wouldn't you say Sarah's nodding her head? Yeah, I mean, it. some of these interviews we did were, were really difficult, but they were important. You know, they were incredibly important because these people deserve justice. Now, in the first case of the Carters, Monique and I have stayed in touch and I have sent her story in that episode to over two dozen people. She cannot find legal representation to this day. Still, the Taylors uh, obviously still mourning the loss of their daughter. They're on Twitter, formerly Twitter, now X, a lot. I, I talk to them through that platform quite often. But they're not getting any justice either. There's no, you know, we were asked to forgive the Covidians, you know, the Fauci's of the world. We, by an Atlantic Magazine article, we were asked to forgive them. Yet there's no justice for these people like the Carters and the Taylors. And we can't forgive until those people receive some justice. So... The pain of losing a child, the pain of losing a husband, a father's horrible. But, you know, the pain of losing your freedom is is pretty awful as well. And we had the good fortune of interviewing Sarah Brady, otherwise known as the Park Mom in Meridian, Idaho. She was arrested by the Covidians in a park, in a public park with her children just playing. And she's facing an unmerciless prosecution and you can hear the pain in her voice sarah's going to play a little clip for you from that episode i have not had to sacrifice near what a lot of other people have sacrificed right and have yep. had taken from them right i'm not a january 6th um right. defendant uh i am not currently in jail uh, and i say that tongue-in-cheek because um, i'm sure my time is coming if i if i continue if, if i can if any of us continue to push back against the evilness that's encroaching and just almost overwhelmed america we absolutely will be and i think that's when you know that you're doing something right is when you are being so persecuted or, or prosecuted in yep. my case yep um, you, but that's the thing, you know that you're doing something right. And I think, you know, I, I was saying during the break that I, it's, it's one of those things where people say, well, how can you keep going? And wow, it's just so amazing. I'm like, I, well, number one, I, I keep going because I have four children. Yeah. You don't have a choice in your mind, right? I mean, I have a choice, but what, right. what, what's life without freedom? What is it? Yeah. James, it's nothing. It's nothing. And so if I don't do the best I can and the most that I know how, I will never be able to forgive myself. What, and so what, yeah. for me, this is just my, this is my small contribution. Um, I mean, it, it's been hard. I will say that, but again, sure. like I've not lost, I've not lost anybody or again, had any time in jail yet. I'm expecting I'll have some time in jail. Wow. Another powerful show that we did. 
You know, and the courage of all of these people that fought back against the machine that was COVID, that was created in a lab, that was intentionally released on mankind, that in part was created to keep a certain man from winning the presidency. But the the fact that 8 million people died didn't seem to bother them. I mean, it's just crazy. The good news, I do have some good news in these stories, and that's Sarah Brady's case was dismissed. A new attorney general was elected in Idaho in one of his first acts. I mean, she had the attorney general of the state coming after her for taking her kids to the frickin' park. I mean, what we went through, we can't forget this. I think this is a very useful exercise for us to go through these things. Because the evil that we saw, and you know, a a lot of what we talk about on this show is involved with these unseen forces. You could call it the deep state, the globalists, the cabal, whatever. I don't know who they are, what they are. I mean, I know some people that are active members, but we don't know who's in charge. But we talk a lot about that stuff on this show because it's important. That we know it, but it's incredibly important to tip our hat to people like Sarah Brady, the Carters, and the Taylors. They are so brave. When we come back, we're going to get into the election nonsense in January 6th. It's clarification. We'll be back in just a second. Hey, everybody. Clarification, the year in review, we're doing not a really, some people do a countdown of the best episodes. We're not doing, you know, Sarah and I figured out, Sarah's my producer, by the way, if you haven't figured that out, Sarah Myers, who's a fixture here at KSGF. We, Sarah and I, every Tuesday meet in this little room in the studio of KSGF 104.1 and we record the show. And we have been doing this for almost 18 months. I think we're at like 17 months. So we decided to look back at the past year. If uh, you just started listening to the show, you can catch the first segment at ksgf.com and click the menu, go to podcast, go to clarification. You can download all episodes. But the First segment, we went over COVID. Now we're going to talk a little bit about the 2020 election and January 6th. Now, how are those two things tied together? Well, they are inextricably tied together because the protest, the rally really is what it was. It was a Trump rally on January 6th, 2021, was... There's 2 million people there to voice their displeasure with the way the election was run. And, you know, for about a year at least, if you said there was fraud in the election, you were censored. I mean, on Twitter, before Elon Musk bought it, if you said the 2020 election, presidential election, was fraudulent, you were censored. So January 6th, we all know what happened. But one of the biggest events regarding... January 6th, is being completely ignored. And I did a whole episode on it on uh, December 3rd of last year, and it was had to do with the pipe bomb. Remember, there were two 
pipe bombs found on January 6th. Let's listen to a little clip from that show. So the FBI releases these videotapes and said, we need help finding this suspect who planted these bombs. Now, like I mentioned, Darren Beatty at Revolver.News has done incredible reporting on this that no other. I read you the CNN story. It is completely bogus. So the FBI released a clip on March 9, 2021, timestamp 7.42 p.m. the night of January 5th. This shot should have had a clear money shot picture of the pipe bomber reaching into his bag and depositing the pipe bomb by the bench where they said it was found. Guess what? There are two cameras out there. One of them is directly on the pipe bomber, which would have shown him reaching into his bag, pulling out the pipe bomb. At the very moment he supposedly does it, in the FBI's released video, they switch to the other camera angle where you can't see the guy. Yeah, isn't that convenient? Isn't it interesting that uh, the FBI always seems to misplace the one piece of evidence that uh, might show us what we need to know. I just, just on yesterday, I was filling in for somebody on the show, and we found out that the FBI had tried to get cellular data, this is what they say, to, to identify the pipe bomber. They weren't able to do that because they said the provider's data had gotten corrupted. Isn't that convenient? January 6th was the Fed's erection, and the people that paid the most were the people that have been arrested and put in jail. To that end, we interviewed Jake Lang, and Jake Lang has become one of the better-known J6 prisoners. Jake was in, and actually is still in prison. He was in the D.C. Gulag when we spoke to him, so we had limited time. You can hear some noise in the background. It's because he's in prison. He's in prison for voicing his opposition to a fraudulent election. At the time we did the interview back in February, he had been held for 758 days with no trial. Think about that. Yes, folks, we have political prisoners in America. Let's listen to a little bit of what Jake had to say. You're making it clear there were a whole lot more victims. She's just one of the ones that very sadly lost her life. Right, but she. This would happen in that tunnel, didn't it? The Roseanne Boylan thing. Yeah, Roseanne Boylan lost her life at 4:20 p.m. on January 6th, and she's one of four unarmed American citizens that were brutally murdered at the Capitol by the Capitol Police. This is a, a Boston massacre level event um, that you know signifies what I have described in my new documentary as the first battle of the Second American Revolution. You know, Jake, he's pretty courageous. He refuses to take a plea deal. That's why he's still in prison. And now one of the charges, the charge of obstruction of justice, has been dismissed. So he's making a little progress. But I hope beyond hope that whoever is elected president, if it's a Republican, that one of the first things they do is pardon these prisoners because it's the injustice 
And we, we talk about justice and injustice a lot on this show. As a matter of fact, coming up, we've got Rachel Alexander to talk more about the injustices that actually happened on the election. But Jake, by the way, you can support Jake at J6 Truth. He also has a documentary that you can watch that's called Freedom Isn't Free, January 6th, the first battle of the second American revolution. So the next show that we did, we had another gentleman who was at the Capitol on January 6th, and we only got to know him as Tank Man. So Tank Man is his moniker on Twitter, and he came to my attention when I saw several very well-known Twitter users, such as DC Drano, Laura Logan, the famous investigative journalist, and others were posting videos that either he had filmed or he had found. Now, I say he had filmed. It was kind of interesting. I'd gone through much of the interview and didn't realize that he was actually there that day. And it was during the interview that he told me that. I thought he was just a guy that was a researcher, kind of like I am, and just dug these up. But no, he was there. He uh, he talks a little bit in this clip we're going to play about how these Trump supporters, quote unquote, these were actually undercover federal agents plainclothes officers dressed as Trump supporters, then some of them dressed as Antifa. Let's listen to that one, Sarah. He's saying to another officer, we go undercover as Antifa in the crowd. So it just raises so many red flags. You know, what was he doing as Antifa? You know, the depths of this, he wasn't just pretending to be a Trump supporter. He was pretending to be a Trump supporter who was pretending to be Antifa. Wow. And they continually deny the presence of Antifa. But, you know, we know about John Sullivan, alleged Zachary Alam. So they can deny it all they want, but these facts stand, and it's just flagrant. Now, we're, we're seeing some of these cases. It's a two-tiered system of justice. Yeah. Folks who have gone through the process, like John Sullivan now, he's reporting on the war in Ukraine. And then, you know, other similar situations. I'm not sure if you're, you're familiar with the Pink Beret lady who was supposedly leading folks into the Capitol by hand. Now, she's in Thailand with her boyfriend. They won't extradite her. Wow. So they won't extradite her. Isn't that interesting? Much has been learned since we did this interview. As you know, we had a new speaker elected to the House, Mike Johnson, and one of his promises was that he would release the January 6th footage. Now, sadly, he hasn't released it all, but he's released enough of it that we now know, we know for a fact that the January 6th so-called insurrection was a Fedsurrection. We now know we've seen the video where the Capitol Police are actually firing flashbangs and tear gas into the crowd. But here's what's really important. They not only fired into the crowd, they did it strategically. They did it in such a way that it forced the crowd and the crowd at this time was completely innocent. They were standing there. They were holding their signs. 
Nobody was trying to break into the Capitol. By the way, that never happened. No one ever broke into the Capitol. They were let in. Yes, there was a couple people. Now, you got to remember, there were two million people in D.C. for this rally that day. And the the crowd estimates at the Capitol, I, I mean, just my guess is there was at least 50,000 when some of this broke out. So they shoot the tear gas and flashbangs that drives people towards the Capitol. If you're being shot at, you're not going to run towards the shooter. You're going to run the opposite direction, which is exactly what these people did. And the opposite direction took them to the Capitol. Then you see officers of the Capitol Police waving them towards the Capitol and then letting them in. There's a video from inside the Capitol that has been released of someone walking to the door and yelling up to someone else, hey, this door's locked. Someone hits an automatic unlock button and he unlocks the door and waves people in. And look, I watched this live. The vast majority, I don't remember honestly watching it ever seeing any violence, any. Now, I know there was some. But let's remember, the only people that were killed by violence that day were the so-called rioters. And four of them died at the hands of the Capitol Police. Ashley Babbitt wasn't the only one that died. We lost four people. And has Congress done anything about it? Oh, yeah. Mike Johnson gave us a smattering of the tapes. There's still 20,000 hours that hadn't been released. And it's time we demand that they be released. So we come back, we're going to get into everything from the esoteric to conspiracies, which I know you guys love. It's Clarification Year in Review. We'll be right back. Old acquaintance, be forgot and Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Clarification. It's our year in review, and Sarah and I are having so much fun looking at all these old episodes that we've done. And we had some, I think, some really wonderful interviews uh, in the next segment. You know, we have some barn burners. But in this this segment, I wanted to talk about an area that is personally I find very interesting, and that's the esoteric, the paranormal. It's also Sarah's favorite. We call it high strangeness. And back in 2023, I actually did a ghost investigation, and we did an episode on October 7th of this year that we talked about this investigation that I did and the recordings that I made. Now, I want to preface this and say, like I did on that show, I don't know what these recordings are. You decide for yourself, because we're going to play, if you want to listen to that whole show, go back to October 7th, but we're going to play one of the recordings I made for you right now. So let's play that clip from that show. I think it'll be pretty self-explanatory. Here we go. This one, I think, is one of the clearest. Now, it's, it's hard to hear. I'm going to tell the audience. It's clear in what it says, but I'm going to tell the audience. The EVP is at the very beginning of the recording. So you're going to hear my voice after it. So we'll play it a couple times, but just play it and listen to the very beginning. It's kind of a whisper. EVP session. 
So that's me saying EVP session. So let me set it up. We're in the landers. I pull out that little analog recorder. I pull it out. And at that point, whatever says, play it one more time. EVP session. You can hear that whisper. And it's, this is one of the lower level, vibe, but it says clearly tape recorder. You know, listening to that episode, every time I listen to these, it sends chills up my spine. I mean, to this day, I don't know what those recordings are. And honestly, that one's not even the best. You really need to go listen to that whole show because it's crazy. I mean, we got over 30 recordings. I got snippets of music. I got strange clicking noises where when we were in the room, it was silent. I mean... Uh, that whole experience is really seminal in my life because at that time I didn't believe in any afterlife. I didn't believe in spirits. And to, th- to this day, I don't know what those recordings are. I do know this. They were human voices that we recorded and they weren't heard at the time. They were only heard when we reviewed the tapes. That's the classic definition of electronic voice phenomenon or EVP. So next show we did, we had a show back in September 30th, on September 30th, and we had Shane Carpenter, who is a local, we're talking in Southwest Missouri, Bigfoot researcher. And Shane has done a couple documentary films and one one called Into the 300. The 300 being uh, some private land, 300 acres that the landowner gave Shane complete access to. The landowner was experiencing all kinds of strange phenomena. So Shane and his buddies uh, went down there and they've done extensive investigations. They found footprints, castings. They've had sightings. They've got all kinds of interesting audio. But I wanted to play you a clip about an experience that Shane had at a different time with these cryptids that many people call Bigfoot. So in this clip, Shane explains how he actually saw four little heads peeking over a log out in the middle of the wilderness. Let's listen to this. In 2013, um, I had decided that I was going to take my family for a hike. This was on a Friday night. Um, I talked to the family. They were raring to go. So I found a, I got on Google Earth, found a place that I wanted to go hike in. And basically, uh, as we're going down a trail, probably a mile and a half out, um, we hit this one particular area and I started getting this, this feeling. And immediately I recognized it from back when I was 10 years old, like immediately in my head. I, wow. I felt, I, I felt like it was the same feeling or vibe that I was getting. So I tried to kind of, it sounds crazy, but I tried to kind of hone in on it. Mm-hmm. And my boys, my three boys and a friend were up ahead of us on the trail just a ways. And me and my wife were standing together. And I told my wife to stay on the trail. I went to the left and stepped in tra- off trail, went in about 20, 30 feet, uh, started doing a, a scan with my, you know, visually through the woods. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't say looking through the woods, looking into the woods. And uh, there were four heads sticking up from behind this, this thicket. 
you know, and Shane goes on to explain that, you know, like raccoons, bears, whatever, don't stick their heads up. This was a, what he believes to be a Bigfoot sighting. It was pretty darn cool. You know, the last thing I want to talk about in this segment are what they call UAPs, which I hate the fact that they changed the technology. They're UFOs. They're UFOs. And we're lucky here in southwest Missouri because our own congressman, Eric Burleson, is on the congressional committee that is investigating this. And 2023 was a massive year for this topic because we had whistleblowers come forth probably we well i think it was in 2020 or 2021 where we had the pilots come forward but we had retired major david grush who was very high up in being part of the pentagon's uap task force he became a whistleblower he told the house oversight committee's national security subcommittee of which eric is a part that he had been denied access to some government uf programs but he knows the exact locations where the government has UFOs in their possession. And probably the most stunning, the most stunning admission Grush made was that the U.S. has retrieved, and I'm going to quote, non-human biological matter from the pilots of the crafts, adding, that was the assessment of people with direct knowledge of the UAP program I talked to that are currently still on the program. So what is he saying? Let me break that down for you. They found aliens. The U.S. is in possession of aliens. Biological matter from pilots of the craft. That's not humans. That's not a dog. It's not a weasel flying that object. It's some type of E.T., now, I, I made the claim on that show and others that, I say that show, we did several shows on the UAP topic, and when you scroll through clarification, you can find them. I made the claim that the military to this day denies it, and Grush, Grush has been threatened in the congressional testimony. He was asked by Representative Tim Burchett, if he had been threatened. And he said, yes, absolutely. Many people have been killed for delving into this topic. It is so super secret. And we'll let you know in the future, we will have Eric Burleson on, as well as Tim Alberino, who's a very noted UAP researcher who I had dinner with, along with Congressman Burleson. That's coming up. In the next segment, we're going to close it out talking about Conspiracies. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Clarification. It's our year in review, and we're actually reviewing almost 18 months of this show being on the air. And if it weren't for you, we wouldn't still be here. So I totally, completely, from the bottom of my heart, appreciate you listening. This segment. We're going to talk a little bit about multiple shows that I did that have to do with history, conspiracy. You know, I think there's two themes that run through my shows, and they are truth and justice. 
You could take the opposite uh, approach and say falsehoods and injustice because we try and expose falsehoods and we try and expose injustices. And in order to do that, we have to look at history. Because, you know, look what we're finding out about January 6th that we talked in the previous segment. That's now an historical event. Look what we're finding out about COVID after the fact. So one of the most important shows I did had to do with the assassination of Robert Kennedy, not John Kennedy, his brother who ran for president in 1968 as a Democrat. This was after his brother was murdered. He was running for president and he was going to win. He was just mopping up. He had just won the California primary and was giving a speech when he was murdered. And I highlight many, many things that really show that Sirhan Sirhan, who was eventually commit, uh, who was eventually found to have been guilty for the execution, did not indeed kill Robert Kennedy. Let's listen to a little clip about the LAPD who was involved in the investigation. So when we left off at the last segment, I was telling you, so the LAPD took the extraordinary step of burning 2,400 photos from the case in the the, uh, Los Angeles County General's medical waste incinerator. Why would they destroy 2,400 photos? They kept hundreds of innocuous crowd scene photos That never showed this strange girl in the polka dot dress. So let's talk about the polka dot dress girl. Immediately after Kennedy was shot. And remember, if you're just joining the show, we're talking about Robert Kennedy, who was running for president in 1968. He was shot in Los Angeles after a campaign event, after he'd won the primary. Immediately after he was shot, dozens of witnesses reported that an attractive woman in a black and white polka dot dress ran down the hall saying, we shot him, we shot him. And someone asked, shot who? We shot Kennedy, we shot Kennedy. Now, in that episode, I lay out the extensive amount of evidence that Robert Kennedy was not murdered As according to the official story, the woman in the polka dot dress was never found, even though dozens of witnesses saw this woman who claimed she shot Kennedy. There were many more bullets found than the gun that Sirhan Sirhan held. I'm not going to relitigate the case. By the way, if you want to listen to these episodes, you can. That particular episode aired on May 6th of 2023. All you have to do is go to ksgf.com, click the menu bar where it says uh, podcast, and then click on clarification, and you can scroll through all the episodes. Now, there's actually a button at the bottom when you get down about five or six. It says see all episodes. Click on that. Then you can scroll all the way down. And I suggest if you're interested in any of these topics, go back and listen to them, because I find them very fascinating. As you regular listeners of this show understand that I like to look at historical events. And one event in recent history 
uh, caught my eye because of just the brutalness of it, and that was the rise of ISIS. Remember ISIS? As Trump would say, ISIS. Can I say China? ISIS, where they showed those horrific videos. These were these jihadi terrorists that supposedly supposedly organically arose from the Sahara Desert and began to kill Westerners. And they literally took over large portions of the Middle East, including uh, in Iraq and Syria. I'm just going to play a quick clip from that episode, and then we'll talk a little bit about it. Completely with American weapons. So Barack Obama and John Brennan created ISIS. Why? To go fight Assad. Why? Because Assad was backed by Russia. Yeah, so that's the revelation, folks. A lot of you don't know that. That ISIS was a U.S. creation. They were created by the CIA under the direction of John Brennan, who answered to Barack Obama. Yes, let me say that again. ISIS was created by the CIA, and I lay out all the evidence. It was uncovered by Pulitzer Prize winning journalist Seymour Hersh. And that should be a major revelation. Another fascinating interview we did was with uh, Rachel Alexander. Now, Rachel was the actual election lawyer for Maricopa County. And I know my listeners are knowledgeable enough to know that Arizona was in the middle of the fraud that was the 2020 election. And she struggled so much. I mean, she's been charged. She's lost her law license. She's lost everything for simple calling out discrepancies. I want to play a quick piece where Rachel describes why the Republicans in Arizona don't help her. It's basically money, though, isn't it? At the end of the day, money and power, which kind of are similar to two sides of the same coin. Yes, yes. I definitely say it all comes down to follow the money, because if you look at most rhinos, they're older and they have a lot of money. Mm. And they've just been in Republican politics for way too long. A lot of them have businesses. These businesses have various regulations with the federal government and other governments. And, you know, they violate one of those regulations and, and you know, like a, a woke topic. And they're, they could go out of business. Their business could be penalized. So there's all types of issues they can't, you know, even discuss because of that. And, and let's just get to the elephant in the room. I mean, nobody wants to be sued by Dominion. You'll end up like Fox News. And yeah. I can even go over why Fox News settled. Yeah, Rachel was amazing. She's got a huge following on Twitter. Follow her there, or you can go to that show. I believe that show aired on November 18th So you, of this year, last year. Well, no, it's still this year. So 11 one of my favorite people that we've had on is a guy named Theo Jordan. That is his online name. He's a lawyer in Florida. He's one of the most brilliant people I know. And we've had Theo on several times. And this particular show, we were talking about race essentialism. So Theo has a substack, and he writes just incredible, salient Articles And here's a little piece where he's talking about the race baiters in this country. In my opinion, that's such an evil and wicked apparatus because, you know, and, and I talk about in that piece the term end racism. And I like to put my little googly eye emoji in there because I think it's a very cult-like mantra 
We're going to end racism. No, nobody's ever ending racism and bigotry on planet Earth. It's part and parcel of the human experience, whether we like that or not. But we can get everybody on board with platitudes like end racism, like Black Lives Matter. Right. right. And then we do that by building that personal flame, that hatred, to be honest with you, this animosity of, oh, my goodness, America is this racist country. Ergo, what do we do about it? Well, we've got that plan for you. Come read our anti-racist guidebook and we'll explain to you the policies we need to impose to do what? To end racism. But they're not they're not designed to end racism, James. In fact, I I, you know, you and I have chatted a lot. I I suspect you would agree with me that a lot of what we're seeing from the anti-racist activists is per se inflaming racial tension. Yeah, Theo is so spot on. We've had him on, I think, three times. As a matter of fact, he'll be on a future show in the next couple weeks. Theo is absolutely amazing. You can find him on Twitter. And if you want to listen to that complete episode, it aired on July 29th of 2023. And the last one I want to talk about in the the societal, cultural, and conspiratorial genre is 9-11. And we had a couple great guests concerning 9-11. We had Captain Dan Henley, who was a pilot. We also had a very notable figure in that group named Richard Gage. Now, Richard Gage's show, the interview aired on May 27th of 2023, And it's actually pretty amazing uh, what Richard has found out through his work. Here's the smoking gun evidence of what they found in the rubble of the Twin Towers by Richard Gage. The micro uh, pellets of steel found in the rubble. Yeah, this is an incredible signature element of the World Trade Center dust, according to the EPA. It's not even World Trade Center dust unless it has these billions of curious, unidentified, previously molten iron microspheres. Let's unpack that. Because uh, how do they get uh, molten? Uh, Well, the 2800 degrees Fahrenheit is the melting point of iron. How do you get anything that hot? You don't in an office fire. Office fires don't even get a quarter of those temperatures. So uh, we talked about incendiaries that that do. Um, And and so that's the heat there. Previously molten iron. Where do we get iron from? Iron we haven't used in our skyscrapers. Elemental iron. Mm. Cast iron for a hundred years right? because we use alloys of steel, but this is pure elemental iron. Where does that come from? Well, that's one of the, uh, the, the key ingredients of thermite uh, uh, along with aluminum powder. Um, so it, it's iron. And then the microspheres, how do they get microspheres in all the world trade center dust? Well, under uh, aerosolized liquids form themselves by surface tension in uh, the droplets into spheres. Mm-hmm. In the case of liquid molten iron, it'd be dispersed or aerosolized under enormous pressure. And then it forms itself into spheres and they cool and they fall with all of the dust, which is what, by the way, could account for the toasting 
of the tops of the cars surrounding the World Trade Center. Uh, There's no other plausible explanation. And that, folks, it's a wrap. That's the year in review of clarification. If you want to find us, remember, go to KSGF, drop down menu, podcast clarification. I hope you have a wonderful new year. We'll see you next time.